Hello, and welcome to Furloughed, defining moments worth talking about. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and with me as always is Steve Otterstrom. Steve, how are you doing this week? Did you get any snow your direction? That's the big news for me. Oh, yes, we did. We did. Got quite a bit of snow, but that's a little more normal for us out here in Utah to get snow. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, tell me about your weather, because it sounds like you might have had some, you know, really unusual weather. Yeah, we had the woods. Yep, we had two different snowfalls and a total accumulation of 10 inches. And so oh, wow. it, it, literally there was about eight, nine on the ground. And so it was very unusual. Uh, school was out, jobs were closed, people couldn't commute to and from work and all that. Uh, and then Saturday and Sunday, it was 45 and 55 degrees. So we're uh, wow. <laughs> we're, we're wearing shorts today and, and swimming in the mud that uh, the, 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 the snow the is snow. left behind. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, um, a lot of the work I had last week ended up being work, um, you know, because I do I do the I do production work mm-hmm. uh, for uh, training calls and things. And um most of it actually came from individuals who were in Texas who couldn't do it anymore, oh, um, yes. who needed someone to step in last minute and, and handle the production for them because either they didn't have power or their power was so uncertain. You yes. know, so hopefully if any of you were in in that situation, um, hopefully you were able to stay warm. I do understand the power's coming back on, but it's yes. bringing a whole slew of other challenges for people uh, in Texas that they're now um, water pipes that have been frozen are, are beginning to burst and causing damage in that way as yeah. well. So, um, of course, we wish and hope the best for, you know, anyone that yeah. might be even until today impacted by right. the really unusual weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, definitely were majorly, I, I understand like one in four people in the state of Texas were without power at some point in time. One of the stats wow. that I read. And well, I know certainly, Texas is not a little state. That's no, a lot of no, people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, I have three different team members that I work with were affected by it as well. Mm. At least uh, 24 hours or one had lost power six different times in a day. So yeah, not a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun. So Yeah. But we do have other breaking news as well that you were sharing with me before we started the recording there. So, oh yeah, I mean, there's always there's some some things I'm excited about, things I'm I'm, I'm sad about. <laughs> I mean, both both you and I um, have spent most of our life working in the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. um, and a good portion of that for me was actually working um, for Merritt International and Merritt Va- Vacation Club. Um, and so because of that, when I saw in the news that Arnie Sorensen had passed, mm-hmm. um, and if you're not in hospitality, you don't know that name, but if you are in hospitality, you do. Um, you know, he was the only CEO of Marriott who didn't hold the Marriott name. Of course, there's only been three CEOs at Marriott because, what, 1927, when JW started, <laughs> he was the first, passed it to his son, Bill, who's still alive. Um, and actually was the CEO most of the time uh, that I was with Marriott. In fact, all of the time because I moved to Marriott um, Vacation Club when when he when he finally passed that over. But um, Arnie Sorensen was certainly a name that we all knew. Uh, and I remember even when he was named the CEO, just kind of this little excitement because um, it seemed like anything that Arnie <laughs> was involved with 
not only worked well, but it moved uh, the company in a direction everyone could be comfortable with. I think one of the things that he will be known for is his real push um, to expand uh, diversity within the upper echelons of the hospitality world. I mean, hospitality historically has an uncomfortable relationship with diversity um, in that it there's a lot of it, but it's it's often categorized. <laughs> You know, if you have a certain color of skin, you probably started in housekeeping. <laughs> if yep. you were over here, you know, you might have been engineering. Um, and uh, really, uh, and not that other hospitality companies aren't doing that, because it's something that I think hospitality in general for the last, you know, maybe decade has really consciously uh, been working to improve. Uh, but it's something that I think we can say Arnie Sorensen did, did, um, did fairly well. And so, uh, and, and of course, this is me. Uh, admiring him from afar. I promise Arnie Sorensen never knew my name. <laughs> I knew of him. He didn't know of me, but uh, yeah. uh, really a titan in the hospitality industry. Uh, and I believe it was it was pancreatic cancer uh, yes. that took him. And he worked. This is the amazing thing. He worked really up until a month uh, before he, you know, said he was leaving to, to have more intense treatment. And I think just to add one more thing, an ode to ode to Arnie, um, when when uh, we were in the situation that uh, you know furlough was was beginning um, for us, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I wasn't working for Marriott at that time, his voice was actually the first one uh, that I think we heard in explaining the challenges that the hospitality industry was facing and the inevitability of having to downsize. Mm. Uh, and that was, and, and that was for the entire industry. And I think that's some, something that if you don't work in hospitality, you don't understand, but that in some ways we're not like other industries where we're at each other's throats the entire time. Hospitality people are different. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe we are a little bit, I don't know. Uh, but for the most part, there is this, this feeling of camaraderie within hospitality itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, when he got up and he, and he spoke and he was emotional and he explained that he would not be taking, um, a salary, uh, while this was happening, it was the first, I believe it was the first voice out there, at least of a major chain. Uh, and then when he talked about the heart wrenching decision that they were going to have to take a third of their, their force and reduce it, mm -hmm. um, you know, that it, it was, it was, it was clear that this was, was something that was affecting him on more than just a business level, that this right. was something that was indeed truly personal. And being that, you know, I was being affected by it, or at that point I realized I was going to be affected by it while there yes. hadn't been an announcement. I think we all knew uh, that we were going to be following in the same footsteps um, it was a, a very comforting and, um, I mean, not comforting from the perspective, everything's going to be okay, but at least somebody yeah. at the top understands. Yeah. Comforting in the fact that there was a lot of empathy as well as exactly. compassion exactly. as those decisions were being made. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So there, there's my, my ode to Artie and, and, um, and of course, you know, um, expressing our sympathy for anyone uh, for those, his family, those who are close and, and for the entire Marriott family, because this is a loss across the board for them. Sure. Yeah. And for the industry as well, no doubt. So, yeah. 
on a happier note, I was super, super excited uh, that the Mars rover, rover Perseverance, <laughs> if I can talk this morning, um, I mean, those that know me know that I, I love astronomy. I love anything that has to do with outer space. Um, and uh, this, this is extremely exciting. It landed. It landed safely. Um, there are so many things that are unique about this particular rover mission. Uh, one being that for the first time, and it's it's supposed to come out today, Monday, uh, the 22nd. Of course, maybe this is going to be posted a little later. It doesn't always. We don't always post on the same day. But uh, the day we're listening to it is the day that we are supposed to expect to get some of our very first uh, video. Mm. That while we have had uh, rovers up there that have taken still shots, we've never had any actual video uh, come from the Red Planet. We've also never had any audio, and there's a microphone up there, so um, it's 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 very exciting. Um, of course, so the you, broadband connection is not very good, so it's going to take a while for those to hit. Your question, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask: Do you anticipate the video to look any different than the still image? That's that's my big, <laughs> my big question. <laughs> well, you know, there is wind on Mars, so we might okay. get to see something, uh, some dust blow across. Some tumbleweeds <laughs> or something there. <laughs> well, tumbleweeds would be really exciting. <laughs> if we saw anything biological, that would be, that a would sign be... Of life, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly. One, one we really would not expect. Uh, it would mean one of two things. There was clearly life on Mars, or they didn't actually go to Mars, that this is somewhere on the southern Utah desert. <laughs> <laughs> moving around yes. you know. open, up, open up pandora's box that the space program really is false after all because <laughs> exactly a weeks exactly before they started filming <laughs> yeah well and i also joke i'm like well the reason that we're not getting the video yet is there's a lot of editing to do to get all the martians out yes you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah Especially it probably landed in a little Martian village and all the children are coming and looking at it, you know, and they're like, yes. how do we edit this out? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, certainly interesting, that's for sure. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I know for me, it's a little interesting as well, since we have, uh, as, as a nation, kind of so far removed ourselves from the space program, at least mm -hmm. from regular flight, uh, space flight. And so yeah. I wonder if this will rekindle some things or just exactly how this will play into the grand scheme of American space. Well, I research. hope it does. I yeah. hope it does. And, 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 you know, it's kind of one of those things that I've, I've definitely understand the argument that says, well, why do we put so much money into understanding, you know, places outside of our own planet? We should be maybe focusing that money back on um, solving some of the things that are, are closest to us, mm -hmm. you know, but to that, I would respond that there are a lot of the things that we have, um, today, technologically, right. came from the space program. Yes, and there has to be, you know, going back to what Britt said, uh, you know, in our last podcast, you know, there has to be purpose to what we do, and maybe even collectively, um, we have to have a purpose. It gives us meaning. It makes us healthier as a society. And so, maybe to have a purpose that isn't a hundred percent like, hey, um, we're just trying to do the work that needs to be done, but is also like. Um, based entirely off of our curiosity, um, I see value in that. And of course, I, yeah. I completely understand when people say, no, there isn't any. I get it. I, I know where they're coming from. Um, I just love it too much to agree. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and the other thing, I, I got to tell you two other things that just get me super excited about this is um, they sent a drone up with this one. So we're actually going to get drone footage. Uh -huh. uh, 
so it's it's actually sitting underneath the rover right now, um, and they'll do some maneuvers so that uh, it will drive off. Uh, you know, it's going to lower it to the ground, and it will drive over the top, and then that drone uh, will actually go up. And uh, it's it's the first, um, you know, uh, I guess I can't say flight on an extraterrestrial planet uh, because we've used balloons before, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it's going to be kind of like this is the Wright Brothers flight on Mars. It's the first powered flight <laughs> uh, that will take place on another planet. Um, unless, I mean, you, you can't really, moon, the moon's not the planet, but clearly the lems did take off, you know. <laughs> yeah. So there was power there. And then the other thing is, um, and some people are, don't don't realize this, but we don't have any Martian soil here on Earth. There's nothing we've ever taken back from Mars. And uh, part of what uh, Perseverance is going to be doing is taking core samples that will, um, the plan is, be returned to Earth in 2031. Mm. Uh, That's if Elon Musk doesn't get up there first and set up a colony. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So there's my my nerdy, geeky stuff for the week that really doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about today. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's certainly interesting, and it's uh, we, we will certainly see what the results of that are. And uh, yeah, can't wait till 2031 now. You've got me excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I know one of the things that uh, we had talked about, and you talking about Arnie and your, your homage to him, is uh, we really kind of wanted to dive into the fact of how we landed in the careers that we did and kind of explore that. Uh, I know it's interesting and, you know, especially to younger folks always kind of, you know, how, how did you get where you are? And uh, I know my, my son is an adult, a young adult and (laughs) by my standard young, anyhow, anyways. uh, But we always have the conversations about, you know, work and how did you get where you're going or what, how did you handle situations and things like that? And so, I thought it'd be fine, kind of fun to explore that and recognizing that no one of us have the same path. Uh, but I think as you and I kind of talked prior to recording, Steve, we, we've sort of fumbled upon the same technique of landing where we landed. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if we want to give that secret away right away or if we want to hold that. <laughs> well, we certainly don't want to build it up too much. Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> our secret is not really all that... Uh... Yeah. Well, I'm different than I think of how most people end up where they're at. (laughs) Yeah. I think I can do the big reveal in this way and then we can expound on it from there and then actually talk. Uh, So I I had watched a, uh, one of those videos on YouTube about uh, Steve Jobs giving a graduation ceremony talk. And one of the things that he talked about was connecting the dots of his life. And the simple thing that I realized from that, and I don't know if somebody shared it with me, uh, probably somebody smarter than myself, but when you look backwards and connect the dots, it's a whole lot easier than to put those dots in front of you and figure out where you're going. In other words, it's a whole lot easier to look backwards and retrospect and say, ah, it makes sense, rather than plan A, B, C, D and get to where you want to go. Because uh, I, I know when I was fresh out of college, I, I knew exactly where I wanted to be and how I was going to get there. And I had it mapped out, even had my, my, uh, let's see, I think I had a 10 or 20 year plan mapped out as to how much <laughs> I would be earning and all of that. 
And needless to say, it never happened. Um, and I, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Britt on a previous podcast and we were talking about purpose and she, during that podcast mentioned midlife crisis. And I could so relate that I, at the age of 30 had what I feel was kind of my midlife crisis because I hadn't accomplished what I had set out to do when I left college. And so um, I, I didn't buy a red Corvette, but I had a lot of the symptoms that people do <laughs> in struggling with where I was and what I had not yet accomplished that mm-hmm. I thought that I should. So, but that's well, not really talking about my career, but that is a part of the struggle that I've gone through uh, mm-hmm. during my career anyhow. Well, I think, you know, and it's interesting that I don't want to, you know, necessarily hijack the story from, from the perspective, but I still feel that way oftentimes. Yeah. I think that that's something that we don't talk about much as adults is about the disappointment that mm. our lives don't always, they rarely turn out the way we expect them. And there are so many things that are going to be left undone. I mean, I think some people who know me closely know that um, for me, being an attorney was what I wanted to do. I even did uh, some law school and, you know, because I did it when I had children and when I was um, working full time and <laughs> um, mm. it led to a, a near mental breakdown um, after two years in uh, mm. because it was just more than than what I physically and emotionally could handle in doing. But I still I still don't have a day. I don't wake up and think about it, mm. you know. Yeah. And some people yeah. would say, well, then that means you need to go out and do it. Well, maybe, maybe it does. But on the same note, there are also other things I like about what happens in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Just because I think about it for five minutes when I'm having my you know, uh, morning cup of coffee doesn't mean that I don't have a whole myriad of other things I want to accomplish in life that really actually at this moment take precedence. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think a big part of finding satisfaction is the ability to realign your goals, not necessarily just stubbornly, uh, you know, beat the dead horse. Yeah. 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 I think that's that's great advice, Steve, because, uh, I, you know, I don't I'm, I'm not the kind of person that lives in regret by any means. Um, but certainly I know the pathway that I've that led me to where I am. I started to say the pathway I've taken, but I'll say the pathway that led me to where I am. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily made all those choices on my own, uh, but to be where I am and have the responsibilities I do kind of, as you're lo- alluding to, and that, yeah, definitely wake up and enjoy what I do. So mm-hmm. but let's, let's kind of dig in. So, I mean, uh, you mentioned we're in hospitality. We've said it in the past, we're in learning and development. And I know you've, you've held more of an HR function in the past. And I've, uh, for the last, oh gosh, 15, 16 years, I've been in a true learning development function of whether it's developing e-learning, whether it's writing content for a facilitator to give, or whether it's doing facilitation itself, or working with projects um, and vendors and them building the program. So I've done all kinds of various things for the last number of years. And uh, so for me, even just literally this past weekend, I had a kind of a aha moment again as to why I enjoy doing what I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it's just kind of fun for me to unpack that. But again, to say that I set out to do it would really, really be a lie. Uh, <laughs> for me, the, the, the simple story, and I'll, I'll keep it simple, but uh, we can certainly dissect a number of things along the way and talk about your story as well, though. Uh, for me, the simple story is I spent 15 years in food service. So I, I, 
I was a culinary graduate before food TV was a thing. And so everybody mm-hmm. in the world was not interested in becoming a chef, uh, but I was. Um, my dad was a cook in the military, and I think that was a big inspiration of wanting to follow his footsteps. And so I, I did go to culinary school and sought out to become a chef, and it, it just never quite panned out the way that I thought it would. And recognizing, too, when I met my wife, which we talked about our Valentine's podcast mm-hmm. or just after Valentine, I met Paula. I realized, gee, if I'm going to pursue her and have a family, I personally want to have a different lifestyle than what being a chef would afford me. Uh, in mm-hmm. other words, I would like to be home in the evenings and have family time at nighttime instead of being home during the day while everybody's away. So I knew I needed to make a career change. And so for me, the tools that I had, uh, I was building some websites. And so I built a few commercial websites, built my own for the family and a few things, tinkering around uh, in the earlier days of the interweb. And uh, (laughs) it was because of having those skill sets that it really helped me land the position that I landed that got me into learning development. And then recognized from there, that's when I started drawing the strings backwards, the dots backwards and seeing that, yeah, I'd always loved learning in my own way. Uh, I didn't care for academic learning, but I love vocational learning. Any job that I held, I was always training people how to do their jobs and in a position to train others. I had applied for a few training jobs in the past and didn't get them. And so I really love that aspect. And so many of us in learning development talk about that aha moment, you know, where you see somebody in the classroom that gets mm-hmm. it for the first time and how much that lights us up. And that's, that's true for me as well. And so uh, that's the pathway, you know, landing in hospitality was never expected, expected landing in learning technically was never expected. Uh, I even went back and completed my degree in learning adult education while I've been in this profession. And that mm-hmm. was not something that uh, I had intended to do. Uh, so I, I had my degree by the time I walked down the aisle uh, for my diploma was the 30th anniversary of my high school graduation. So not something that I'd set out to do, but uh, yeah. certainly no regrets by any stretch and, and love what I do. and Wouldn't want to change it for anything now that I'm here, though. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things as you were talking that, that came to mind is that in a lot of ways, uh, we ask ourselves the wrong question. You know, we, we say, what do we want to do? How do we want to make money really is the question that yeah. uh, when, when, we're, when, when kids are young, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? Um, and we don't ask instead, you know, what are the things you're really good at or what are your talents? Because as yes. I listen to your talk, it's almost like your talents guide you. If you, if, if for example, my story and in going into um, a hospitality or going into uh, my first job, you know, I remember uh, sitting there, this was at the call center in Salt Lake City mm-hmm. um, for the Marriott Rewards Program. And they're going around uh, the room. There's 30 of us in this in this new hire class because you know call centers have to hire a large portion of people at a time. Um, there's, there's they a large, lose a large portion of people. At yeah, a time. exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> yes. Working at a call center is just a, a little bit less fun than you'd think it is, and you wouldn't think it's much fun. So you know, you you, you do lose people pretty quickly. 
Um, but there I am sitting there um, in this classroom and, and they're, they're saying, you know, why did you choose to, to join our company? And they're going around, everyone's asking, you know, answering the question. And they're all saying things about, you know, well, I chose uh, Marriott because of the great benefits. I did it because of, you know, school schedules, or I did it because I'm like, and, and every time somebody brought something up, I'm like, I didn't know about that. I didn't know mm -hmm. about that. I'm here because I applied for the, the job because I needed money. And you said I could have the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you said you paid money. <laughs> and you said you paid money. And so that's why I'm here. I, I didn't know, you know, there, there were certainly people in that room who would kind of you know, researched out the organization and knew what it was about. And for me, it was like, yeah, I, I've heard of, of these hotels. Um, but, you know, and, and even I was a little bit um, concerned because, you know, Utah is, is one of the uh, multi-level marketing, um, you know, capitals of the world. Uh -huh. And uh, my first uh, job after um, coming home from Uruguay was uh, I, I applied for this job selling uh, a class two medical device. And uh, I had a quick little interview with the guy and he's like, yeah, um, you know, why don't you come back this evening? And I'll, I'll, um, you know, I, I, I really want to hire you. So come back this evening. We're going to, we'll do a training. And I come back that evening. And then I, I realized that it's just a multi-level marketing yeah, scheme to sell vacuum people cleaners. going through the training with you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and he's he wants us all to, you know, consider buying one of these. And in the end, I was like, oh, my goodness. So I was a little bit concerned when I walked into the room and there were 30 people there. I thought, oh, I've been suckered into another, you know, multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm going to be selling magnets yeah. um, or, you know. Um, and then I'm like, no, no, Marriott's a real company. This is a real building. This is, you know, this, this isn't a multi-level marketing scheme where I thought I was getting a job and really, you know, they're telling me you can own your own business. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, what's interesting is that really, um, one of the talents that I had coming into that position was, uh, speaking Spanish really well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it gave me an opportunity um, to move into training because they wanted to hire a bilingual um, on-the-job trainer because we had Spanish lines that came in and they wanted to have someone who could provide the training on, you know, for that line as well. Mm -hmm. um, sure. But they wanted, but there was, it wasn't a big enough line. There was only about, you know, nine or 10 people on it. So it was something that they would need to be able to do both lines. You know, it's kind of like that would be part of my, my job. Now I was up against people who were, you know, um, otherwise a lot more experienced and done a lot more training, but they hadn't, they didn't have that one aspect. And because they didn't have that one aspect, right. it gave me that edge. And then I discovered training and, you know, training really has been something I've loved doing way more than I could have ever imagined. You know, I hated school. If mm -hmm. someone told me that I was going to be in any way, some type of education person, I probably would have been really upset and used bad language because, I, <laughs> you know, the idea of being any kind of a teacher did not really appeal to me in any way. Yeah. Um, but the ability that you have, and this is another thing that I wouldn't have realized, it wasn't about, it's not about the transfer of knowledge that really gets me coming back. Um, it's the connections I get to make with mm, people. Yeah. You know, and really being honest, yeah. that's what I love the most about it is the ability to connect and the ability to um, help people get where they want to be. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, totally, totally relate to what you're saying, Steve. Uh, that's great. Uh, I, I too had worked a couple of call centers, so I've, I've, uh, <laughs> I've been there it, and it, it is a lot of fun when you use your mute button, you can have all kinds of fun at a call yeah. center. Never uh, but, trust your mute button. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's it, been a few of my friends in the butt and, uh, yeah, they're, they're no longer. It's not that the button either. fails. <laughs> it's that you fail. You think you've got it down and you don't, you know, like it's just yeah. not a habit you want to get into. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, and but I I did my kids when I worked the call center. My kids were a little younger, and so once I landed in the position of learning development, the kids would, you know, well, Dad, do you still have fun at work? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I love what I do. Well, we don't get to hear about it anymore. It's like, well, I have to be a little more professional because I don't have a mute button all the time. Uh, but nonetheless, but and to the what you said about um, you know what you enjoy about it is is totally right. You know. Um, because I myself, just the exact same thing, we've talked a little bit about it and had a podcast early on about education. And I was not a, a person that enjoyed school. I didn't hate it per se, but I worked at being average. And so mm-hmm. I would have never envisioned myself to be in a position of doing this. But I do think at the same time for me, part of what drove me, especially early on when I landed the job, was I learned that there actually was some neuroscience to the way things are being done in the learning world. You know, that we've got some research now about how our brains work, which is still a relatively new field. And I figured there must be a right way to do it. And so that that was kind of one of my early things that drove me to dig in and explore so much of it. Because if there's a right way to do it, I felt... Personally, I felt the education system had it wrong. So wouldn't it be mm-hmm. great to change the world and do it right? And uh, needless to say, I'm still chasing that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, I think. Uh, but there's <laughs> there's definitely things that could be done to improve. But uh, yeah, so, but it, 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 it is big fun though. Uh, and like you say, it's the connections with the people and helping them along the way has certainly been rewarding. In fact, I think... There are times where I really do think that at this stage in life, I, I think I could be just about contented to do any form of work and just a matter of finding meaning in the work that you do. And then mm-hmm. it makes it enjoyable, though, you know. So well, I'll, it is I'll, interesting. I'll to just discredit what I just said, right, because <laughs> I could be happy <laughs> doing something else. <laughs> Well, and I think that kind of goes into maybe going back to our pa- uh, past podcast again and talking about uh, true love. <laughs> and there is this idea oftentimes where like you meet that one and only and that person is the only person out of 7 billion that could ever be compatible with you. And we sometimes have a, a similar perspective of our yeah. career or what we're going to do, that there is this one and only thing. And you're right. Um, you can find you can find ways to put what you do into play and find happiness in that uh, in a number of different areas. There isn't, you know, it's not that somehow on accident moving into learning and development, I found the one and only job for me, the career that was my true calling in life. Likely had I got hired on on, uh, in one of the other different jobs that I was applying for, you know, um, I would have found eventually that that, different career was was also my calling in mm-hmm. life and, and i and i think i saw that as as my career progressed you know that starting out at a call center um 
you know, uh, I actually did, you know, <laughs> I got to a point that I was really over being on the phones, but I did find a lot of joy actually in the advocacy part of it. You know, that when, when you're really doing a good job as a customer, um, relations expert, <laughs> mm-hmm. you are the advocate for the customer. You know, they're coming to you, um, the, the, the great big corporation with a problem. And you say, Hey, guess what? I'm on your side and I'm going to advocate for you and I'm going to make something work, you know? And, and I love that. I loved, you know, having people get off the call and, and just, uh, be thrilled <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that they no longer were dealing with whatever issue it is that they, they called with. Um, of course that wasn't always possible, but oftentimes, most of the time it was. And also just working for a company that, that really kind of had that same philosophy made it a lot more comfortable. <laughs> you know, I don't know how I would have felt if I were, you know, working for the cable company and, and the job is to try and find different unique ways to say no. Yeah. But, uh, that, that certainly wasn't the philosophy, you know, when I was working for Marriott, you know, that it was all about, um, finding a way to leave a happy customer. Then as I moved on and, you know, I moved into a training role where it was really kind of um, almost a classroom type environment where we did a four week training before we put people out uh, on, on the floor. You know, that is where I kind of learned classroom and in-person training. And then as I moved to work on site at different hotel properties, um, I actually landed into a position that was kind of half traditional HR and half training. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I discovered that there were so many resources for helping people. It was almost like I got to take customer service to the next level Um, that, that people could come in. And, you know, if you work in an HR environment, people bring in some weighty issues, you know, anything that can happen uh, to human beings end up, ends up coming into your office at some point. And you, but also the really, you know, exciting things. And it, again, it came back to that ability to connect with people and that enjoyment of connecting with people that you, you came in every morning to see your friends <laughs> and, and the ability to help them get where they wanted to be. Um, you know, I, I, I said at the beginning, I always wanted to be, or not always, but, you know, through high school and, and even through college, my, my goal was to become an attorney. And I actually found in that HR environment, I got to do a lot of the things that I think I would have enjoyed about that. Right. And, and that is really just, you know, really helping people get the resources they need to be where they want to be and where they need to be, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's smart, Steve. It, it, it really, it kind of goes back to what you said earlier. It, you know, we asked the wrong question saying, what can I do to make money? Uh, instead of saying, you know, what am I good at? And what do I enjoy? And so you now are taking that, that, that skill, or at least in that environment, you were taking that skill of being an attorney, being an advocate, being a proponent for somebody else, and now leveraging that within that HR role. And I think that's kind of how you have to view it. You know, the things that I do that I enjoy, uh, like I say, I kind of viewed education system is being done incorrectly and being done boring. And so I try to bring elements that make learning mm-hmm. more enjoyable and make it more relatable. And I'm not always focused on those things, but there, the, those are some of the driving things that I think about as I think about the work that I'm doing. And so it, it is leveraging um, 
back to that passion, I guess, back to Britt's podcast, it seems like, you know, because I, I was even thinking of the four circles that she had mentioned, you know, finding mm-hmm. finding your passion with those four overla- overlapping circles. And I think that's really more key. Um, and, and doing that than to just focus on the money. I mean, my goodness, this day and age, especially, I see it so often where, you know, oh, we could do this on YouTube and they made millions of dollars and, oh, they did this over here and they made, you know, TikTok and they've made millions of dollars and, you know, but is that really something you enjoy doing? Is that something you really want to do long term or are you just looking well, for a quick get rich? And uh, if, if I can get millions of dollars, I promise I want to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think... have to work long and hard to get there, though. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Well, I think that is something, you know, that that's interesting is I always, you know, I, I, I remember early in my career hearing the advice, you know, do something not because it pays more, but because you love it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that comment sounded extremely tone deaf to me when I would hear it. And I still believe that comment is oftentimes, you know, from that, because I remember, you know, I'm working at the call center and I would, I, that's the first place I heard that, you know, and, and trying to find, you know, something, um, beyond being on the phones. It wasn't just that, you know, I was ready to move off the phones. It was that I already had, um, uh, you know, after being there a year, my, my son was born. Um, I was married. We were living in a converted chicken coop and, um, and, and they'd be like, well, don't just do it for the money. Do it because you'd love it. I'm like, what I would love is to have some more dang money. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's that's what I need, right? You know, and sometimes there's that that um, hierarchy of needs. You know, Maslow's yes. hierarchy of needs. That yeah, sometimes you really do need to. I mean, money is is probably one of the biggest considerations you have to take into consideration when you're looking at a job. And I, I think in in the corporate world, we would like to think that there's some kind of transcendental, you know, reason that, that, that transcends money. And that only occurs when you're making over 70,000 a year. <laughs> well, yeah, it, <laughs> maybe it really... even more in many other areas, but that, that, that concept of being able to put money aside, mm-hmm. it, 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 it doesn't exist for people who have families and are making under that amount. They have to think about the money almost every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure of the dollar amount, but there's no, I'm not sure either, but it's going to be somewhere in that range. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've I've said it before too, that, you know, once it, and and it is valid, it is proven. uh, I couldn't cite a source, unfortunately, but you know, basically the way I explain it is once you're able to pay the light bills and you're able to have a roof over your head and food on the table, then that's when you can really focus on what you want to do. And I recognize Mm -hmm. until you get to that point, it's a struggle. And I mean, I, because of having made a career change myself, you know, 15 years of food service, then working at a call center for five years and then getting into learning development, that was a long ways around to get to where I needed to be. And so Mm -hmm. while I was working at the call center, or even when I first got into learning development, I would have friends at work you know, oh, they spent money on this, they spent money on this, they spent money on that. Well, I had a family of four that was living on my income. And it was by choice. I mean, my wife was uh, a stay at home mom by choice, not not because economically, it was smart. It was a choice that we made. But to see a single person making the same money as me, able to afford luxuries that I couldn't was 
very unsettling, especially at the age I was where, uh, you know, I was in my 40s, early 40s or turning 40. And those folks were about the same age I was and still single. And it's like, well, sure, you can do that, you know. So you definitely have to have food on the table. And, and, and then you can begin to focus on um, a little bit more focus on the, the fun side of working and focusing on always working to your strengths and focus on what brings you pleasure kind of thing. Otherwise, it is just scrapping to get food and scrapping to take, pay those bills, you know. Well, it, it dawns on me that you and I really kind of entered the, the real world or adult world workforce mm -hmm. uh, from a very similar perspective um, where had I had, had I finished college and, you know, um, mom and dad had paid for it and everything, or, you yeah, know, coming at, coming at it from this, this perspective of having resources, mm -hmm. it may have been that I would have really addressed my first job in a different way. You know, uh, it may have been that I would have looked at it from the perspective of, you know, what would I like to do? What would, you know, but what I was looking at, and I remember I was, I was looking at the, the way I picked my first job or it picked me as I went down to the community college job board. Mm -hmm. And um, I picked those that seemed to have um, the best dollar per hour. And it's not like I, I said, Hey, I'm only going to take the top ones. I, I, <laughs> I, I went for all of them yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, with the idea that uh, I need something, I need to have some sort of, uh, and, and really one of the things that, made uh it work for me and and one of the reasons why still i mean when i think of it, and maybe it's because of arnie Sorensen and things and so i'm mentioning marriott a lot but one of the things that i really appreciated about my very first job is it was a it was a um job that required really no education um it was you know or any kind of background it was my first kind of real job but it gave me the dignity of having health insurance, a dental plan, and a living wage. Mm. And um, there are not a lot of uh, first-time jobs that are like that. Yeah. You know, so organizations that that will provide that right out of the. <laughs> I think to some degree, if I were picking again. I would say even though that job wasn't necessarily the best job, it did tell me a lot about the culture um, and the philosophy behind the organization that was providing the job. Well, I know <laughs> I, they might've been offering it where I was. I, I know they were, they were offering yeah. it where it was, but we, we, we played the game of buying insurance every other year. So we could see the doctor <laughs> at least once every two years and every get our eyes years. checked every two yeah. years, uh, because of, of the living expense of, of what we consumed, you know, we, we couldn't necessarily afford to have insurance all the time. Uh, but anyhow, nonetheless, but I, I will tell you one thing that I think it, it, I have this crazy story that I, I don't think I've shared to too many people, but one of the things that sort of helped me get my start in world, in the world, uh, in the work world, after I'd gone to college, uh, my parents had tried to uh, buy a restaurant and uh, worked worked for them and with them for uh, a brief period before that went belly up. And uh, so at that point, I was looking for, kind of like you were saying, just about anything. And uh, they, the city that we lived in had a little job office, you know, where, where 
various places would post work. And I went in and they were needing an assistant manager at the local steakhouse. And so I saw that and thought, well, you know, let me try that. So I went and interviewed and this is the, the funny part of the story. I went and interviewed and he talked about the fact of needing an assistant manager and he hired me. Well, I thought that he hired me as the assistant manager, but he did not. <laughs> uh, I was there for a couple of months before he promoted me to assistant manager. And when he promoted me, I was just sort of dumbfounded because it's like, I thought that's what I was doing. <laughs> I thought I was your assistant manager. <laughs> and so the fact that I came in the door thinking I had more authority than what had been given to me, really, um, I, I realized my coworkers <laughs> probably thought I was the biggest jerk in the world. But it, it really helped me to actually fill the role that he eventually gave me because yeah. I was already, you know, they, they always say, act like you already have the role and they'll give it to you kind of a thing. Yeah. And that, that's literally what happened on that job. So I, I look back <laughs> and I think, oh my gosh, how stupid I was. But at the same time, I think that probably helped me because um, I yeah. wouldn't have had the confidence to approach the job <laughs> the way that I did. Had he not actually, had I not actually thought I already had that job. And so. Um, <laughs> well, did you get a pay increase with it or, or you just go home I, and you're like, did. hey, well, honey, no. guess what? I got promoted to the job I thought we had. Yeah. <laughs> or is that something you haven't told Paula yet? <laughs> well, well, mind you now, this, well, this was pre-Paula. Yeah, this was way oh, okay. back. Yeah, this was way back. So in small town, this was before I lived in, near a major city. So, you know, we're talking barely above minimum wage as it was. And so, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, I mean, I worked there for two and a half years and <laughs> if, we, if we want to put a date on it, when I left there, I was making $4 an hour, Steve, <laughs> as an assistant <laughs> manager. <laughs> well, you know, so, so there you go. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it did set me <laughs> on sure the sure you weren't way. assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> if anybody catches my office reference there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but, but it did literally, though, it was a mindset that I had that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And, and uh, again, it's the stupidest thing that I thought I had the job and, and I, he offered me a job, but that wasn't what he offered. And then, like I say, a couple months later, I'm going to promote you to assistant manager. And it's like, hmm, whoops, I'm not going to say anything. I'll just say, yes, sir, and take the Thank job. Thank you. That's really exciting. <laughs> so I think I, I think I made 50 cents more an hour after that. Yeah. Oh, we'll see that with $4 an hour. That's actually significant that's a, increase. That is a big increase, yeah. So, <laughs> but, uh, it, it, but one of the things it did, though, is it gave me confidence that I – and I, I, I kind of hit back to that, the importance of it, because I didn't necessarily have or wouldn't have necessarily had the confidence otherwise. And that particular job really was a catalyst to move me forward because that boss that I worked for, he wasn't a whole lot older than I was. And so he showed me, I don't know that I would ever consider him to be the best person I worked for, but I learned a lot from him. Number one, we, we were actually friends. You know, we worked together and were friends. Um, and then he had a, a bit of a carefree attitude about things at work that I was, because remember, I had this career path in my mind. And so as a young worker, a young employee, I was so serious about trying to get ahead and I would watch him and the fun that he had sort of just goofing around here and there when appropriate on the job. 
and I thought, you know, it, 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 he's he's really a at times an odd person, but he does enjoy what he does. And I wonder if I couldn't enjoy just being a little bit more relaxed, I, I guess, subconsciously is what I was wondering. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, it helped me to not approach my work with such grit and determination that, by God, I got to do it and grit my teeth. But the fact of just enjoying uh, beginning that was the early stages of beginning to enjoy the journey a little bit along the way or recognizing mm-hmm. the possibility of enjoying the journey. You know, as, as you're talking, it it's, feels like um, our careers in many ways, our lives and our working world are like our careers are a micro chasm of our life. Like everything that mm-hmm. happens in life happens in this other little world you go off to every day, you know, that, um, you know, you, 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 <laughs> have to just kind of enjoy the ride. You know, you mm-hmm. talked about learning to just kind of uh, let your hair down a little bit. And of course you let yours way too down because now you don't have any, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, learning, learning to just kind of um, enjoy your experience. Cause you're going to be on that ride for a long time, Yes. but it also comes with just some, some extreme ups and some, some extreme downs. You know, I remember times when I got promotions and it just seemed like this is it. This is as good as it gets. I'm so happy with where I'm at. Um, I could do this now for 20 years and I'd be okay. Um, and then of course, some extreme lows, you know, I mean, none as low as, <laughs> you yes. know, layoffs and, and furloughs and things like that. Uh, but, but that actually lead to true like sorrow and mourning and, um, and challenges, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's interesting because I mean, we all look forward to retirement (laughs) someday when we won't have to work anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's almost like that as soon as that happens, people have a very difficult time even knowing who they are anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so in, in some ways it's like this, this look at our careers is really just a look at, and again, you know, the question when you're little, they don't say, what do you want to do for money? They say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And, uh, and it really takes this, this act of being and this act of, of what you do for a living and it, and it merges those two together, you know, um, your purpose, you know, we talked about purpose last time and I'm still thinking about it. You know, it's oftentimes it's like, well, your purpose has to be what you do for a living. (laughs) Um, but, uh, as much as it may mean to us and as much as it may become a part of our identity, in many ways, it's just so out of our control, you know, that mm-hmm. like I think about, you know, the, the, the couple of times that I've been laid off and in both circumstances, it was just kind of like, like a tragedy that happened mm-hmm. out of nowhere, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think that's something almost that we have to prepare ourselves for as we, you know, think about either as, as people enter the working world or as you are in the working world that uh, there are inevitable tragedies along the way as well that go right along with the excitements. And I I think even amongst those, I might put times that I was so certain that I was going to be the person that was promoted. Mm. You know, I was so certain I had done everything that I needed to move into. And and I I, I equate that maybe to the, in the real life world, to your heartbreaks, (laughs) you know, where you think you found the one, you think you found the place you're going to be, and then you get rejected and it doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. And and then that rejection maybe happens multiple times. When mm-hmm. when I first entered the work 
force. I was, you know, I felt, hey, maybe one day I'll run this organization. It's going to take several lifetimes for me to ever get to that <laughs> that point. You know, it, just understanding the difference between where I was coming in um, as a line level customer service agent and the CEO of the corporation, you know, that there were lifetimes of careers between where I was at and where they were at. And unless I started somewhere else on the track, it was never going to happen. Yeah. You know, um, and then I think even just another interesting aspect in the, on, on the career thing, and this is coming from just my, my last year, is that sometimes um, your career can be something that really does become your own. You know, I, I think about like my career as a landlord. Um, I never expected, hey, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to own properties and rent them. But um, that accidentally happened when the housing crisis was 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 taking place and I needed to move to Tahoe and uh, I couldn't sell my house without bringing money to the table. So I had to rent it. Yeah. And then I discovered, hey, you can actually make good money doing this. So, you know, the next time I moved, rather than buying a regular house, I bought a triplex, you know, so I could rent out the other <laughs> units. And I'm actually now looking at buying a, a third house. Um, my family says I'm out of control. I need to stop doing it, <laughs> especially as the debt piles up. But, um, you know, the, the interesting thing is, is that there are things that you never, ever would expect that you can do, but you can do. Yes. You know, so I, I think um, there's even a statistic out there that shows that one of the the, the disparities between um, what men make in the workplace and what women make has a lot to do with how honest men tend to be and how honest women tend to be. That hmm. when um, a um, job description comes out and says, hey, this is what we're looking for and this is what we need in that person. Um, statistically speaking, women are more likely to say, well, if I don't have all the things on the list, I'm not going to apply because it says required. Yeah. It says I have to for have a four-year degree. I don't have a four-year degree. It says I have to have three years of experience here. I don't have those three years. And so unless yeah. they can check those off, they just assume that this list is honest. Unless they can check that off, they don't apply. Where men are much more likely to say, job, want, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, yeah, and all they can do is tell you no, right? <laughs> they can do, yeah, exactly. And, and, um, and I think it, it goes into our culture and, and why that may be. But I think it's something that we can learn from um, in that I've always been maybe more along the lines of, of how, you know, statistically women might look at it and say, oh, I'm not going to apply for this. But the truth is, apply for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a, a great manager I, I worked with once, she was a front desk manager. Uh, she would say, you always have no, why not try for something better? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And I really think, you know, a lot of what you're saying now, I think really plays into where we are and where our global economy is. You know, we, we can't, um, for lack of better words, we can't afford to play it safe anymore. We need to throw ourselves out there. Uh, as you talked about the heartbreak of people being promoted above you or promoted when you applied and you didn't get the, whether it's a lateral move or an upward move or mm -hmm. what, I totally, totally relate. And uh, I, I had uh, one specific most, you know, the most recent for me in my career, I can remember somebody got a promotion and my immediate response was, what did I do wrong? You mm -hmm. know, immediately I asked myself, what did I do wrong? And I carried a pit in my stomach for about a week trying to figure out what went wrong. 
But at the same time, if you never throw yourself out there, if you never put your hat in the ring, as they say, then you're going to miss how many other opportunities. So it is uh, learning to uh, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's learning to hear the N word, the no word, and not getting crushed from it, recognizing, ah, I tried and I did what I could. But at the same time, it's also learning I'm not the one in control and that's okay. Uh, just like you mentioned about CEO, I, I laugh about it because when I started Hilton, uh, uh, the hospitality company I now work for, uh, the CEO is like a year or two older than me or a year younger or somewhere. We're, we're similar age. And so in my mind back then, I would sit, sit there and think, you know, where he is versus where I am and do this comparison game. And boy, you talk about a deadly game. Uh, because <laughs> as you said, yeah. you know, I, I would need to start it another lifetime to have the experience he does and, the, and, and do what he does. And so, um, you know, fortunately for my peers, I finally come to that realization pretty quick in the game. Uh, you know, so I don't aspire to be in that position anymore by any means. And, and looking at the commitment and the time, the effort, and, you know, it doesn't matter what the position pays. It, I realize it's not something I would want. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we have to come to grip with, too, as we're in the workplace is recognizing, you know, hey, this guy might make this money or have these perks or these particular benefits compared to me, but would I really want to do the exact job that person's doing? You know, and yeah. so it is a matter of, uh, uh, it sounds like settling, doesn't it? But it, it, it's <laughs> not so much settling, it's just being content. Once the light bills are paid, food's on the table. It, it's kind of settling into a group of being contented with it, but looking for the right opportunities rather than just driving uh, into a wall and hoping to get to the other side, if that makes any sense. Well, and life has so many things to offer us. There's so many things that, uh, that are out there to enjoy. And, um, you know, our careers, certainly big part of our life. <laughs> yes. Um, and, but it, you know, it's, it's not really something we write on our tombstones generally when we're done and not going to have it written on mine, Yeah. you know, <laughs> here lies a great, um, trainer, hospitality <laughs> expert, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, um, that, that there are so many other things that we can find to enjoy in life. And there's so many other paths um, that we can go down. I think really the, the key to a successful career is, is just like life. Don't take it too serious. Yeah. You know, it is serious, right? I mean, our lives are serious, mm -hmm. but if we take them serious, um, it, it can, it leads to just kind of, uh, I guess it's own psychosis. <laughs> yeah. We um, have to enjoy the journey. Mm-hmm. And be surprised where it leads us. You know, um, it, I think the statistic is 27% uh, of people who go to college actually end up working in a field that is related to what they went to college for. But I don't think that only 27% of people are actually satisfied that they went to college. I think probably if you talk to those individuals, many of them would say, oh, yeah, I'm so glad I had those years. There's so many things I learned that I ended up using, you know, that that's a great thing about about life and about careers. Nothing's wasted. Yeah. Every experience you have is an experience. It's another tool in your tool belt that you can use for the next place 
that you go. And I know for a lot of people, I, I mean, I go on LinkedIn and it's probably because, you know, we are in the hospitality industry. So a lot of my friends come from uh, similar backgrounds. And I do, I see tons of those little, you know, uh, <laughs> tags uh, saying open to work. And I know it's, it, it is a hard time for a lot of people. I know that um, for many, unemployment has already, it's a well that's run dry. And, and the yes. concern is, how do I uh, make it from day to day? And there, there may be back in that position that I was at when I first, you know, had started my first job. What do I need? I need money. I need money. I need, I need insurance. <laughs> I, I actually still get that one. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I would love to uh, be able to <laughs> have insurance be provided by my employer once again. You know, so we may be, we may find ourselves back in that position where what matters is just making money and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we're so ready to, to point at where we've gotten. I think, especially when you get to our age, you pass 40 and 50, you know, you're, you're starting to look at, at things from this perspective of, did I do enough? Am I where I need to be? Did my life matter? And the answer is yes, your life mattered. And it didn't matter if you, you know, worked at a gas station and you pump gas all your life or you, you know, um, you know, whatever it is that you decided to do with your life, it was worth it. You know, yeah. it was your life and it was beautiful and it was amazing, you know, uh, and and how you make money. Um, well, for your benefit, I hope it's something that's effective, mm -hmm. but not because it actually matters in what the universe requires of you. You know, for your benefit of having food on the table and taking care of your children, I hope it I hope it works for you. But as far as whether it contributed to society, um, it did. <laughs> whatever it was you did, someone paid you money for it, it contributed. Even if they didn't pay you money for it, it's something that needed to be done and it helped people out and it was a service, you know, to humankind. Yeah. And maybe now I'm getting too philosophical on this because um, I want my life to have meaning, but. <laughs> <laughs> and we all do. And we all, and we all do. do. And so I'm just going to convince myself it does, whether it does or not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we'd better wrap things up, Steve. So we're certainly because you don't know what rabbit hole I'll run down again. <laughs> we, yeah, there you go. Well, with that, certainly we always love to hear from you. So if you would uh, tell us about your journey and share your thoughts with us, if you'll email us at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com, furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Drop us a note and let us know your thoughts about your career and where you're headed. And certainly, uh, we are not professional counselors, but we'd love to chat with you if you got questions <laughs> or share more about our own experiences with you. In addition to, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, UpwardsUnlimited.com. And again, that's Upwards, W-O-R-D-S, Unlimited.com, where they specialize. It's a learning development company that specializes in helping you, your teams, and organizations, as well as companies, improve conversations, connections, collaborations, and community. And with that, folks, we'll go ahead and wrap it up for this week and look forward to talking again to you next week. Black, 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 black.